Thanks for listening to What's Good with Stretch and Bobbito. More than 40 million Americans speak Spanish and millions more are learning. For all of you, I'd like to recommend NPR's Radio Ambulante. It's the podcast to hear incredible stories from all over Latin America and across the U.S. Hosted by novelist Danielle Alarcón, Radio Ambulante covers the region like no one else, reporting and storytelling en español. Radio Ambulante is on NPR One or wherever you listen to podcasts. Yo, 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 everyone, it's Stretch Armstrong. And my name is Bobby Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. Welcome to What's Good with Stretch and Bobbito, your source for untold <laughs> stories and uncovered truths from movers and shakers around the world. Estamos hablando de arte, de música, de político y del deportes. And everything in between. Word up. Today's guest is Jose Parla. Parla is a huge figure in the art world. His works can be seen in galleries and museums across the globe. And he's a real, true, sincere friend of ours. Mine in particular for over 20 years. I know you're... Via transitive properties, we became great friends. Yeah. Like, immediately. Before we talk to Jose, Stretchy, a little known fact. You, as a teenager, worked in an art gallery. I did. I did. I was. Uh, my dad was actually a fine art painter. Our living room was a studio. It was just a lot of fun having my dad at home Time painting. Out. I did not know that. And did you ever engage in art yourself? Yeah, even um, around the age when graffiti started becoming something that people in my class wanted to do, I was. I, I dabbled in that as well. But uh, really, but I was a uh, toy. <laughs> What you would call toy. Did you write toy? <laughs> I should have. <laughs> um, but, well, thank uh, God you became a DJ. <laughs> and, and you know, I think you know, in in my teens, I think one of the one of the career paths that I was imagining that I would take would be following in my father's footstep. He eventually became an art dealer, and I, and I thought I would do that as well. And then, yes, in the summers, I I worked at art galleries, which was really boring. And I think it was working at the art gallery that made me realize I did not want to be an art dealer. <laughs> Stretch, are you still painting in this day and age? I'm <laughs> definitely not. Although my dog just scratched the crap out of the front door and I buffed it and painted it in a high gloss paint and it looks phenomenal. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I'm very arts and craftsy. Coming up next, Jose Parla. Word. We're taking our show in front of a live audience where you need to be. On September 27th, we're sitting down with world-renowned tattoo artist Mr. Cartoon at Playa Studios in Los Angeles. You can buy tickets at nprpresents.org. Come hang. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Red Bull Radio. Whether it's the latest dancehall out of Kingston, techno from Berlin, underground hip-hop, or old soul gems, Red Bull Radio is the place to tune in and discover great music that's new to you. With in-depth interviews and live performances from festivals around the globe, plus music handpicked by influential artists, journalists, and DJs, you'll know what you're looking for when you hear it. Listen at RedBullRadio.com. Yo, 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 we are back. It's time to introduce you to Jose Parla. Jose Parla is a painter, a sculptor, a photographer, a videographer, and now a filmmaker. 
indeed, an artist in the fullest sense of the word. Jose's art has been exhibited at galleries all over the world. Some of his most notable works include Wrinkles of the City, a mural installation for which he and collaborator JR from France created portraits of 25 senior citizens who had lived through the Cuban Revolution. And in 2014, he painted a monumental mural for the One World Trade Center. It's called One, Union of the Senses. Stretch, he is destroying the art world. Join us now in the studio. Jose Pala. Bienvenido, Welcome, Jose. Mucho gusto. Very nice to be here. Now, you know, I, I was struggling to figure out with Stretch, like, how do we, how do we refer to you as painter, sculptor, you know. Artist. Artist. You know, all of those former are Former graph writer, like, you were a graffiti writer. All of those are fine. You know, um, I'm an artist. Uh, and, and, you know, as much as I love painting and sculptures, I also love dancing and I love music. Mm-hmm. And um, so that connection that I share with you guys is really, you know, multicultural and diverse in that way. You know, the 80s art scene in New York, you're quietly a product of that in so many ways. And when I say quietly... I, I've never seen you shun the fact that you were a graffiti writer in Miami and Puerto Rico in the 70s and 80s. I used to write the name Ease on walls everywhere I went, and it was almost like an addiction. Like you needed to leave your mark. And uh, and I was you know very happy using that name. A lot of people from that era know me by that name. Yet, you know, you, you kind of evolved in the most positive way into Jose Parla. So has that... Has that been a deliberate process? It was when my father passed away, who had the same name as I, Jose Parla, that I then took on my, my given name in a way to not only honor him, but to continue, you know, on, sort of have a personal um, evolution. And there's people in the world of art that may never even have known that I wrote Ease at one point. So that's even, um, it seems like to me, like another lifetime or another person. I'm 46 and I'm Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> I'm wondering when I could be respected for something that Adrian Bartos does. You have to call yourself Bartosini. Bartosini. Basically, you know how it is with with hip hop culture. Uh, you know, whether you are b boying or you are writing on walls like I was, or you are DJing, you you become enamored by the culture. You're in love with it, and you you defend it all the time because, especially in the '80s, <clears throat> from my experience, was that a lot of people were saying that's not art or it doesn't belong. You know, and um, we were doing everything possible to bring the art form to another level constantly. Everybody was. Everybody who was serious about it wanted to bring it up a level and up a level and always, and that was the evolution. Um, and for me, between dancing and creating the art, I took it very seriously. And uh, even though I got accepted into an art school and I had, you know, uh, the opportunity to do this so-called fine art experience. Which, which one? Um, I, I got a scholarship when I was very young to the Savannah College of Art and Design. I also oh, studied mm. at New World School of the Arts, Savannah, Georgia, and then in Miami, Florida. Um, but I never forgot the roots because what brought me there was winning a competition for the Scholastic Art Awards that was um, of, a, of a canvas done entirely of wild style, of lettering, of interlocking letters, and it was very underground. And that, that got me a scholarship. I was surprised. I was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> I came home and you know shared it with my parents and... You know, the thing that everybody had been saying would take me nowhere or that it was like illegal or it was a crime. It it got me a scholarship and that was a huge change in my life. And so to repay that debt in my own way, I sort of subconsciously made the decision to never leave those roots and never forget those roots, but always treat those roots 
in a sense, uh, differently than what everybody else was doing. I particularly didn't like the the use of the word graffiti because I felt like it was limiting and the media had kind of abused it and and it had a lot more to do with negative connotations of vandalism or, or gang affiliation than it had to do with art. And then when you just put graffiti art and then you had the word art and a hyphen with it, it didn't make any sense. So I always stuck to the original form, which was writing or, you know, calling each other writers, but I was a painter. So I wanted to balance those things out. And throughout the years of painting, um, I've continued to incorporate the calligraphy that came from that style. <clears throat> that is, you know, no, don't get choked up. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I found, you know, I found connections in that style of calligraphy to world calligraphies. I found connections to art history mm. and, and, um, I was really interested in not only like the brand new shiny pieces on walls, but I was interested in how they'd look when they were decaying. Neighborhoods with um, the kind of uh, social economy that doesn't permit them to always be, you know, on the up and up, those neighborhoods will, you know, the facades will suffer. And that kind of suffering can be beautiful because the people that live in those neighborhoods are beautiful. And ultimately, I feel that my work visually has been representative of these marginalized neighborhoods throughout the world so it's not just about miami or new york although those are my you know integral roots it's about havana tokyo paris london it's everywhere that you go you find these marginalized areas and i'm always interested in going there and exploring and i don't know in art you always try to find connections uh, that are relevant uh as opposed to just doing something for fashion or for you know what's going on in, in a fad because fads come in and out but something that's properly backed up by history will become timeless and that's what I've always been interested in. Bong! Okay. <laughs> Kaboom! Somebody dropped the bomb. <laughs> Sound like an art professor. Yeah, yeah, yo, wow. Yo, so Jose, one really good example of the way you're using cracks and concrete to shape the murals you're painting is the piece you did with the French artist JR called Wrinkles of the City. Can you tell us about that project? So my friend JR, he's an artist um, based out of France and New York, and um, he's become known for his photographic style of pasting massive photographs of women, of immigrants, um, of uh, elderly people throughout Eyes. the world. Eyes. Um, he's been able to transform photography because he's essentially um, doing projects that also transform neighborhoods and, and often um, governments. Uh, and in Cuba, what we did together was interesting. It was part of a project called Wrinkles of the City. And uh, we have both been invited to uh, become part of the, to be part of the Havana Biennial. And rather than do so, doing something different, we collaborated. Uh, but you imagine this four years ago, still not as um, open as things mm -hmm. are now after the Obama and, and Raul Castro administration uh, sort of started, began, you know, began changing things a little bit now. So we went and started scouting out walls, scouting out what people were going to photograph and, um, and essentially making a presentation uh, so that we could start getting permissions for these walls throughout Havana. And we did um, almost 20 walls of men and women that we randomly met in the streets walking. Uh, we were interested in finding people whose, whose faces had the kind of wrinkles that we could uh, accentuate and also combine into the wrinkles of the city, which is like the, the cracked walls, the layered walls, walls where like chunks of them are falling and trees are going out of them and stuff. So that was our interest, to incorporate the history of the lives of these folks into the lives of the history of those walls. Yeah. 
Amazing. So I was looking at some of the images of the murals you, you guys did, and they're they're really big. I mean, some of them are 20, 30 feet tall, and you and these these images of everyday people from the city. You might see someone's head that's like a ten foot head on a wall. And what yeah. what was the reaction of of these people who they're not people that are trying to be famous. They're not musicians or singers or even yeah. have any kind of notoriety on the island. They're exactly. just regular yeah. people. The reaction's interesting because you can imagine in a country that for 50 years there's no advertising on the walls, there's you know there's no there's not much mural art, and if there is, that mural art has predominantly been of the socialist communist movement, so it's very political art, and people are accustomed to seeing the heroes of the revolution. So you have Che Guevara, mm. Antonio Maceo, you know Jose Marti from the you know liberation movement, Fidel Castro or Camilo Cienfuegos. People are accustomed to that. So when we came, we were the first uh, people to ever come and do these massive murals of faces uh, uh, on the walls. And everyone assumed that they must have been some kind of revolutionary hero. Mm. And that was one of the reactions. And um, they well, people would they, assume well, also... You know what? They, as regular people, they are revolutionary heroes. They are revolutionary. And that's the, that's the interesting part is that we were connecting them to being people that have lived... From, you know, the 19th century, 20th century, and also in the 21st century. So they've survived several, I mean, many movements and I don't know how many presidents, but they've survived several systems. And in that way, they are revolutionary. And randomly, we met people who were, we met a woman who was the first Afro-Cuban doctor. We randomly met her. We met a a woman who was a famous uh, dancer. But we didn't know that when we approached her on the street. We met people who had fought in two wars in Cuba. Uh, we met a railroad worker who um, laid um, down tracks all across the island. Uh, and and it, this came out in these random interviews that we then incorporated into the murals through the calligraphic mark making that I did around um, JR's photographs and colored um, with the colors of the existing wall and layers. So that was really beautiful in, in its on its own because... Um, it was it was it was new in Cuba, and also what was interesting is that it was part of the Havana Biennial, which had forever been sort of confined to some neighborhoods that were more touristic or considered to be uh, nearer to a museum and whatnot. We we were the first project to ever go into the very deep marginalized neighborhoods, and sort of invite people to come there oh. and see those neighborhoods Amazing. and meet the people. So I was, gracias. It was very different. Now, you know, it's 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 echoing for me uh, the teachings of Pedro Don Pedro Abizu Campos, who was a Puerto Rican revolutionary. Uh, well, a leader, a nationalist leader. I don't even I don't know if revolutionary would be the right way to describe him, but when I hear your voice, it to me it it, it was reminiscent of, of Albizu Campos. And when I'm hearing you talk now, Albizu Campos' main foundation of 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 his philosophy was that, you know, it doesn't matter if you are a street cleaner or a doctor, everyone in the community deserves to be treated with equal respect, with each with equal compassion. Yeah. Um and you know, he was a lawyer who was offered, you know, big time money and went back to he studied at Harvard. And he was the first um, Latin American to graduate from Harvard as a lawyer. And he went back to PR to be a lawyer for the people and, and lead. So it's just so funny, like you're saying these things because, you know, in Cuba, in Puerto Rico, you know, we have a, a very there's long a, history yeah. of, of... There's a beautiful saying I would yeah. love to, to add to please, this, to this please. program by, a, by a, a, a Puerto Rican woman named Lola Rodriguez, who said, 
Um, I'll say it in Spanish and then we translate it. Mm -hmm. He says, Puerto Rico y Cuba es un ave de las dos alas. Recibimos las mismas flores y balas en un corazón. And that translates as Cuba and Puerto Rico are of one bird, two wings, receiving flowers and bullets to the same heart. Mm -hmm. And to, that connects us from the very beginning of when the two countries were fighting for the, for the independence yeah. uh, from Spain. And, uh, and today it resonates as, as deep as ever yeah. uh, because you know everything that's going on in Puerto Rico with so many problems that the, that the island has had to sustain both politically, that it's still not an independent country, that mm -hmm. it's, you know, Commonwealth, and Cuba has had, you know, even deeper issues uh, depending on which side you look at it from. Uh, but they, they, when I say they, meaning the two countries, um, and not only them, in Latin America in general, Mexico, Dominican Republic, mm -hmm. Ecuador, Colombia, there's a, there's a unity that, that is there that needs to be accentuated and, and that it's beautiful. And I think that's, you know, what Albizu Campos, Jose Martí was all about, which started with Simón Bolívar in Venezuela. And those teachings are important because it's, they're very human. It's not about Latin America. It's about everybody. Mm -hmm. And through music and through art, that's what we, that's, it has the power to bring everyone closer yeah. of all types, everybody from all over. And so that's the all over, overall message. Yeah, I think, you know, Stretch, Stretch and I are, are one bird. It's, it's a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> one, a, a New York one pigeon. New York one wing is, is Polish. A flying, a flying street rat. <laughs> flying street. One wing is Polish and the other wing is Boricua. <laughs> the international. And it just poops all over the place. <laughs> Break it down. <laughs> oh Lord. So Jose, uh, yeah. you had an exhibit in Savannah. Uh, it's a Savannah College of Art and Design. They have a museum called the SCAD Museum of Art, and uh, it's in Savannah, Georgia. I went to college there in 1990 for a few years. So how did it feel to go back? It was good. I've been back a few times um, to exhibit. It's been great to go back and actually do a show at the museum, so it's a huge honor. It's like full circle. Yeah. And I, I visited Savannah, Georgia maybe a decade ago. And was really blown away by the architecture there of the homes and how well they were maintained. On the same token, anytime I see old Savannah, old South, I just can't disconnect it to the marred history of the South. Yeah. And so it's yeah. like this like bittersweet thing, like, oh my God, like that home is like phenomenally designed, but then I'm kinda like Well, who lived there? Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, it was, you know, uh, during the Civil War when the uh, Yankees basically conquered the South. The Confederate Army basically surrendered outside of the lines of the city of Savannah so that would have been burned down like other southern cities. So that's why it was preserved so well. And you do think about who lived in those homes and what they owned. And, you know, the history of slavery is really huge. As a matter of fact, the museum, SCAD Museum of Art, is in a building that was the, uh, the Georgia... Uh, Central Railroad, which, you know, held auctions to sell slaves and, and transported slaves. And um, it's now currently in a black neighborhood on Martin Luther King Boulevard. And one of the, the main museum donors that donated his collection of art to that museum is an African-American now who made it a condition that every time there, you know, the main room is for an African-American artist in that museum. Uh, so it's, it's pretty massive what, what happens there because 
in this exhibition, one thing that I felt very proud of is that it was a really diverse group of artists showing, opening with Hank Willis Thomas, uh, African-American from New York, um, Carlos Cruz Diaz, who's a Venezuelan artist, 93 years of age, um, Mornir Farman Farmayan, who's a woman, 98 years old, from Iran. We had a Japanese artist, Chiharu Shiota, uh, Glenn Vogel, Hernan Bass, uh, myself. I mean, it was a really huge, diverse group of people. And um, so for a museum to have that history, for a town to have that history, and then uh, hold a, uh, a show like that, but also for an art school to be born there of that magnitude that has a massively uh, diverse group of students from all over the world, it's different for the South. That was all amazing. Uh, we got to take a break right now, but when we come back, it's going to be time for the impression session. Session! session. <laughs> Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Red Bull Radio. Whether it's the latest dancehall out of Kingston, techno from Berlin, underground hip-hop, or old soul gems, Red Bull Radio is the place to tune in and discover great music that's new to you. With in-depth interviews and live performances from festivals around the globe, plus music handpicked by influential artists, journalists, and DJs, you'll know what you're looking for when you hear it. Listen at RedBullRadio.com. If you're looking for a quiz show that'll make you laugh and think at the same time, check out Ask Me Another. Host Ophira Eisenberg and house musician Jonathan Colton play nerdy games with real contestants and celebrity guests. How many quills are on the average porcupine? Have you heard Patrick Stewart give a dramatic reading of Taylor Swift lyrics? You can on NPR's Hour of Puzzles, Word Games, and Trivia. Check out Ask Me Another Now on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. And now it's time for the Stretch Mbabido impression session. Impression session. Impression session. Impression session. Impression session. So, Jose, what happens in this moment is that Stretch and I are each going to play you a song. We're not going to tell you what it is. You can elect to try to guess. Not really important. What's more vital is that you allow the song to just take you somewhere. And wherever you land, express and share. You down with that? I'm down with it. Impression session. I get, I don't know, I'm excited. We, we play it and you say it. There I'm it is. Right. Am I going first? Uh, sure. Watch out. Me ball respect to all the gunman dead. Gunman alone keep gunman friend. Fire burn to all the informer dead. Informer alone keep no police friend. Respect to all the gunman dead. Gunman alone keep gunman friend. Fire burn to all the Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes. Well, that is gunman tune. Of course, we're talking about uh, metaphorical guns. Anyway, Jose, what's up? Wow. Well, where this took me to, it took me to Miami, to uh, my hometown. I, I grew up uh, in, in that era when the dance hall was going off and my neighbors were Jamaican. I was introduced to dance hall and reggae. It's, uh, it's also very, it takes me to Wakefield in the Bronx because when I first moved to New York, I lived on 241st and White Plains Road, which is a Jamaican neighborhood. 
And um, and I remember walking by this bar every time on the way home from the train, and the music was always amazing. And I was like, wow, I want to go in there, but it looks it looks kind of tough, and uh, I'm not sure if I should just walk in there by myself. And then one day I just said, I'm going in there. I'm going to walk in. And, and I walked in and I ordered a drink, and everybody kind of was like one of these, like everything stopped, kind of like, <laughs> and they looked at me like, what are you doing here, you know? And then um, one somebody was like, where are you from, you know? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm from Miami. I'm Cuban, and I grew up with this kind of music. And one kid called me Fidel Castro because I'm Cuban and I had a beard. He was like, and, you know, from that moment on, it was cool. It was like, I'm Fidel Castro. <laughs> so I got this. And so I, when I walked by, sometimes I'd go in and have a drink on my way home or whatever. So it took me there. It took me to that, that kind of experience <laughs> in my life, too. Funny. I, I play this because you and I have this this ongoing Instagram sound clash. That's right. Where we send each other songs, just especially video, yeah, dance hall. Videotape uh, records of getting played on turntables. <laughs> That would be, you know, apropos towards a towards a sound class setting. Mm-hmm. It's pretty funny. I, I I enjoy doing that with you. It's, we haven't done it in a while, but we should. I'm gonna pick that back oh, it's up. Gonna, now. It's, it's not over. <laughs> Trust it's me, not it's over. not over. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have a record for you. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into it. All right. That, that song, it does, you know, it, it, it really uh, stirs me up inside. Uh, and it's a, it's a song that Bob and I shared not too long ago. I was like, Bob, I got to play you this song. I love this record. And, you know, um, even though I'm Cuban, I have a tremendous love for Puerto Rico. I grew up there. And hearing this song, it, it really makes me uh, feel so much inside because I remember growing up in Puerto Rico, going to the campo and to the mountains and, uh, you know, feeling this incredible... I guess unison with the land and and with Puerto Rico as well. And this song is also got this it got this very strong African root to it and 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 also brings me back to being a, a b-boy because bomba the style of bomba the style of dancing has a lot to do with this confrontational kind of like uprocking that that we have in in and and being b-boys. And so it it brings a lot for me. It 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 talks about you know, the sovereign land of Puerto Rico, for one, <clears throat> the passion of this um, song saying, if I don't dance bomba, I'm going to die. It's saying that it's it's a song where the singer is saying to the countryside, I, I miss you. I need to be there and to be with you. And uh, and it's beautiful. It just it's really touching and it connects me to my roots very, very deeply. So, the, yeah, thank you. The group is Los Paneros de 21. They're based here in New York, but they are a beacon 
for Bomba Plena Music Worldwide. And just for the uninitiated, Bomba Plena is Afro-Boricua roots music. Uh, the Plena is is originated in, in Puerto Rico, the island that my parents are from. But the Bomba is very much rooted in the African slave trade, where the rhythm is is West Africa, but it was it was originated in in Puerto Rico, and similar to rumba in 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 Cuba, it's it's centuries old, and it has survived. Bob, thanks for that. And, <laughs> no, I'm serious. That was that was that was. That's, yeah, I gotta say, I love. I was right. I love DJing or playing music around stretch because. Th- He's not Latino, but he has an ear for amazing music just across the board, right? And it's so nice to like hear him embrace the music that might have a complete different meaning to me and you. Yeah. But for Stretch, it's like Latin rhythms are like it's almost like a new genre for him, in a way. And it's like it's like, he's so spot on, like you know, gets so yeah. spot on. No, it's it's true. I mean, you know, when when I was coming up as a as a digger. I, I knew older people that were buying, yeah, the 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 funk and the soul and the jazz that I was into, but they would also buy Brazilian records and and mm. and Latin American records and, and whatnot. And and I I kind of shot away from that. I felt it, it, in one way I had bitten off more than I could chew with everything I was I was <laughs> digging. Where I was like, I don't need one other genre whole world to to try to get into. And um and then I found myself. I really didn't buy records from like 2000 and 2001 until like 2015. I mean, sporadically, if I saw, you know, a yard sale, of course I would go over and see like anytime you see records on the street, you look, but I wasn't really looking. And, um, and then coming out of that, emerging from that, like I found myself just listening to, to Latin music and particularly through touring the world with Bob and hearing, hearing what he's playing in the right context, right, with seeing people dancing and hearing the music with the full frequency of a sound system mm. on vinyl, and it just mm. was like this eureka. And I haven't actually started really collecting the stuff, but I really appreciate it in a way that I don't think I was ready for when I was younger. That's so dope. thank you. That's dope. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And Jose, thank you for coming on our thank show. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you, Jose. Big pleasure. Thank you, guys. That's our show. This podcast was produced by Sammy Yenigan. Our editors are Steve Nelson and Nigeri Eaton. And our executive producer is Abby O'Neill. Special thanks to our VP of Programming, Anya Grunman. If you like the show, you should check out our interview with Anna Navarro. Listen on Apple Podcasts, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts. 